This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I've got a very, very special episode lined up for you guys. I'm going to be bringing on Josh from Masterpiece Miniatures, uh, is a YouTube channel. It's actually an Age of Sigmar YouTube channel. Um, the reason why I'm bringing him on is because his not only is his YouTube channel, the content on it is great, uh, but, but it's very procedural. It focuses more on rules and uh, tactical analysis and uh, maybe not competitive from a competitive standpoint but just from uh, a rule standpoint so it, it really promotes clean gameplay uh, which I think is perfect for this week's episode uh, we're going to be talking about the of course the main topic which will be the profiles for 40k players or the three players the three types of players you see in 40k uh, slash age of sigmar we'll throw you guys in there too uh, and then of course the subtopic we're going to be talking about what 40k and age of sigmar could learn from the magic the gathering rule set uh, because it's a very fleshed out rule set there's a lot of really nitty-gritty things in the magic the gathering rule set that i think uh, 40k and age of sigmar could learn from and pull away from uh, before we go into that we're going to go into some quick tournament news i actually just got my plane ticket for the Iron Halo event. It's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to leave a description or a link in the description for that. Uh, they just released their tickets up for sale. It should be an amazing event. That should be 120, 130 players this year. Uh, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be Facebook living the entire thing on top of their normal Facebook live stream that they're going to be doing. So it's going to be well covered. It should be a blast. Uh, I think there'll be multiple events, Age of Sigmar events there too. Um, I'm super excited for it. The Iron Halo, if you guys followed our coverage last year of it, uh, they did a great time. They gave out a Battle of Hoth terrain set for a table on for their table as a grand prize for a raffle, which was crazy. Uh, the terrain, Jason, the TO, Jason made it all himself. Um, it was beautiful. It was on a uh, snowy mat. It was, it was great. So I'm super excited to go for that. And then... Last week, if you guys caught it, Dan Platt, I had him on. His team event was the uh, basically, quote-unquote, the Canadian Team Championships. Uh, Hammer did get second place. They did not get first place. So, sorry, Team Hammer, you guys did your best. But I will be covering that probably next week or in an article of some sort uh, when, when I get uh, an opportunity to compile lists because it did just end this weekend. Uh, so, or I guess last weekend, because I'm recording it this weekend, um, but it's this, so I'm talking to you guys from the present and also the past at the same time. 
So anyways, when I get those lists, I'll compile them up and I'll talk about them in the tournament news segment. And then that's it. Okay, guys. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on my guest, Josh from Masterpiece Miniatures. Uh, like I said, Josh in Masterpiece Miniatures, he he is a co co-runner, co-owner, co-founder of Masterpiece Miniatures. I think I didn't actually ask them about that. I probably should have. Uh, anyways, Josh is a former Magic player turned Age of Sigmar player. He's been playing Age of Sigmar, I think, for about a year. And I'll let him introduce himself to you guys. Josh, say hi to everyone. How you doing? Uh, and, and thanks for uh, inviting me on the show, Pablo. No problem, man. Uh, I like you said. I've been playing uh, Age of Sigmar for about a year. I've come from a Magic: The Gathering background. I've probably been I've been playing Magic: The Gathering for about seven to ten years, and uh, you know I've competed in hundreds upon hundreds of local tournaments, and you know at least you know two dozen GPs. Never a pro tour. I've been to one, but not to compete. Uh, you know, several Star City events, and I've traveled the whole East Coast playing the game. I love it, uh, and I love the competitive scene and the players there. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't, who are in the Magic scene, uh, a GP is a Grand Prix or a just a large event. So just think like a Magic GP is like the equivalent of a 40k Open event. So you know, two days. There's a day two, which which is you have to qualify for for day two, which is like the equivalent of like a top eight or day three at the Las Vegas Open. Uh, and then they, they play and everyone's invited. You can come in. There's usually hundreds of players, um, probably more. It's magic. I haven't been to a GP in years and years and years, so I imagine they're huge now. Uh, and then PTQ, which he mentioned before, that's a qualifier event. So those are not as big as Grand Prix, um, but they qualify you for something called the Pro Tour, uh, which is where the pros play. And they I don't think they pay for your airfare anymore, uh, Josh. Help me out here. Um, it depends on the the level of play. Yes. Uh, if if you are going to the top level world championship, yes, they do pay for. I believe they even pay for your hotel. There was a a player locally uh, in 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 upstate New York that was going to go, and uh, he he had everything, all expenses paid to go there. You know, not. Well, not food, so not yeah. all expensive pays, but travel <laughs> and and lodging, and that was all paid for. Yeah, which is insane. That's crazy to even qualify for a pro tour. That's always been one of my dreams. Um, I've only I've gotten invited once. I won one PTQ back in the day um, for pro tour Baltimore, long time, but I didn't actually end up going because uh, I didn't didn't have the money, unfortunately. I think I traded the invitation away to someone who also didn't end up going, so I ended up on top there. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a big commitment it's, it's a lot a of huge, time it's, it's money a huge commitment yeah i actually the guy i played in the finals because because in the finals for a P, at a ptq the top table the winner gets the invitation the loser gets an insane amount of prize support usually yeah uh so usually you want to lose at the top table um or both of the guys like the winner gets the invitation and then they split the 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 prize support i don't know it's etiquette's different in every region that i've gone to um but it's a huge commitment, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a big risk, big reward. I mean, you sometimes you're playing for tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and and I, I've also played. I I don't think I'm as experienced in Magic as Josh. I play. I've been playing for a little bit longer. I've been playing since Odyssey, uh, which is, I was uh, 13, so I'm so 13 years, um, about. So a little bit longer, but I also 
I've taken a brief break and I haven't played a real game of magic since uh, a two headed giant with my wife when she was pregnant, like last year. So it's, it's been a while. <laughs> um, but the point of all th this entire episode is, is Josh went ahead and wrote an article, a really, really good article that I think, uh, I think I'm, we're going to have up on the website. Um, maybe we'll even have him put it up himself. Uh, it's called Fairness and the Rules, uh, Age of Sigmar. So, Josh, go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about your article that you wrote. So, uh, one of the things about playing a, a, a any war game is the community is, is extremely unique in, in the sense that everyone seems to be playing to have fun. And what I don't think people realize is that the term having fun is relative to the individual. So my thought of having fun might be different than, you know, for example, the average players having fun. But what I found that fun was for the average player was very loose uh, play, very casual play. Um, if, if I make a mistake, if I uh, skip over an ability on a phase, two phases back, um, I'm allowed to go back and make that ability happen as if I never made that play mistake. Uh, whether or not you know it was something that was a, a relevant choice or not, meaning um, there would be reasons for me not to use that ability, or there would be reasons for me to do it. I just forgot. Um, but that that loose style of play was interpreted largely by the community as being fun. And for me, as a Magic the Gathering player, uh, and just getting into Wargame, that was extremely unusual to me. So. Uh, you know, I came across a YouTube video and uh, a gentleman had a, a negative interaction with another player. And it reminded me of this, this, this m interpretation of fun. It's not, it's not a misinterpretation. It's just a, a different way of having fun. And one of the big reasons I see for this mentality of fun is that, you know, people are being nice uh, with the intention of their opponent being nice back. But when you go into a competitive tournament scene, uh, you have players who aren't necessarily going to be nice back. And that's what the article's about. It's about why it's important to follow the rules and why people who are competitive, like me, have that mentality that it is fun to play a game as long as you stay within the parameters of the rules because that provides a level of balance and cooperation. Okay, so it's great. Great summary of the article. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what happened in the YouTube video just briefly because this has happened to me before and it's actually something that I've dealt with personally at the Las Vegas Open uh, from other players. That So briefly what happened was uh, allegedly the player, the we'll call him player A, player A's opponent took 30 to 45 minutes to arrive to his game uh, just late. It, so in Magic, normally that would uh, make mean, I think, a disqualification or a game loss. I think there would be a disqualification. Is, yeah. So if you arrive within 15 minutes, it's a game loss. Uh, if you arrive 30 to 45 minutes late or anything past that, it's, it's a disqualification. You lose well, the game. A round loss, a round oh, loss. It's, a round it's loss, not a, yeah. a disqualification; would just mean you're annexed from the tournament. Yeah, which is but not. Yeah, it would be a round loss. So yeah, not a DQ. Um, but 
so that's so that's kind of that's what Josh is talking about here is that this that's kind of an example of the mentality that he's talking about and the difference between magic players and tabletop war gamers. Uh, and I see this a lot too. I've got, I have multiple experiences where um, I was seen as maybe taking the game a little too seriously um, for saying something like, Hey, you should probably move your scouts on right now uh, that you rolled for reserves. Uh, and then, you know, the opponent was like, well, let me finish my charge first. And I'm like, well, you forgot it on your movement phase. You should probably just put them on now. And then they try to shoot the scouts as if they'd, you know, move through the turn and I politely reminded them like, you know, the board state's changed. You know, I think it would be a bit unfair if you were to, you know, look at the future and see where those scouts, you know, basically if those scouts were to shoot at something, you know, and because he wanted to shoot at something, uh, things might've changed differently in the futures game. The board state might've changed uh, so that maybe that unit got weakened or maybe he didn't need to shoot that unit anymore so now he could shoot at something else or do something else with the scouts which offers him a competitive advantage so the, the so. same same things happen in in age of sigmar all the time where someone will forget to move something at a certain point of the game and because models are not allowed to pass through one another um there are times when you know if you had moved them there you'll you, this 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 unit over here wouldn't have been able to make a charge, and now you're telling me that you wanted to move them, and and it's it, it you're right. You know the order of operations is important. Yeah, and and I'm not saying uh, th now when when Josh posted up this article uh, to the Age of Sigmar page, the the page he put it on. Uh, it was met with mixed mixed feedback. Uh, a lot of people agreed with him and came from a similar background um, or played similarly or had a similar mindset. Uh, but the people who disagreed with him, who I think they're all they're also everywhere in the community. They're not just casual players or hobbyists. They are also players who play the game competitively and sometimes even at the highest levels. Uh, they were a lot more casual about it. They, you know, they they didn't like where Josh was coming from uh, and called it some a form of gaming the system or uh you, you know, I heard someone someone mentioned something about you using that to force your opponent into making mistakes uh, as a, like a psychological thing. Um, so I would just like to clear the air here real quick and saying that neither Josh and I, we do not we don't we don't want to be sticklers. We're not rules lawyers. We're not trying to force people to adhere to a game and play it and be robots and automatons you know i let my opponent frequently take things back if it's something something small or something that they generally forgot uh for example if you play battle company and your opponent forgets to use one of their doctrines at the beginning of the turn uh it's something that you have to declare at the beginning of the turn it's very specific uh but if my opponent's been declaring doctrines all game and he just forgets to do it and it's critical turn six where he absolutely needs that assault doctrine and he forgets to do it but he's pl playing under the assumption that he's had it the whole game, I would probably let him. I'd be like, hey, dude, you know what? I, this is this is the top. I don't want to lose because you forgot something, or I don't want to win because you forgot something, so I'll let you take it back. But it also depends on the opponent, too. Right? Some guys some guys might actually, they just might be forgetting things all the time, so you might have to put your foot down and say, hey, man, you have been you forgot to move your scouts, you forgot to move them onto the board, you've been forgetting your doctrines all game, you've been forgetting to shoot stuff and skipping, trying to go back to phases. Like, we need to clean up the game a little bit. Right. So I, I think it's a relevant I think it's I think it's a case by case basis. Um, and it's not uh, being rules lawyers and being a jerk, quote unquote, for the sake of being jerks. Uh, so, so I just wanted to clear the air there. 
I, I would I'm actually I think I'm actually a little stricter than you on the rules uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you're actually you're nicer than me now uh, I, I tend the way I tend to play is uh, I know most of the rules in my head I study them you know like I said I, I just got the the blades of corn book which is the the new uh, book regarding the demons of corn and and bloodbound uh, armies and all the rules associated with that. I'm I'm studying that right now because that is my army, and it's that's the most important thing to do is is know your army. Um, but even I, I even have to as a competitive player, I have to not only know my army and the in, in, the intricacies there, but my opponent's army as well. So, you know, a great example of what I'm about to talk about is I had an opponent this weekend who was playing uh, the Sig. Sigmar army, which is the Stormcast Eternals, and and they're often called Sigmarites because I, I guess and see I've only been playing the game for about a year, so I'm not as familiar with 40k, but there's a, a very big uh, similarity between the Sigmar the the Sigmarite army and the the Marines <laughs> in uh, 40k. They're actually called Sigmarines. Is the yeah. the, the tongue in cheek joke there? Um, right. Yeah. So go on. <laughs> You know, this guy, uh, he, he was a great opponent. He was kind of new to the game. But right at the get-go, I introduced myself. You know, I talked about all my units. I told him all the intricacies of my army, what kind of combos I have. Because, you know, I'm always straightforward with my opponent. Um, and, and I right off the bat said, I want to warn you, this is a very competitive list. This isn't just, you know, a let's play for fun list. I'm going to try to beat you. Like, the intention here is to win. And I was like, and I'm going to play strict by the rules. And and he said, I agree. I think you should play strict by the rules. So, and, you know, he would get to a point, he would start to pick up a unit in his, in, and just move right from his hero phase to his movement, say, move uh, to his movement phase without saying anything. And so I, before he picked up his move, his units and moved them around, I'd, I'd say, hey, because I knew his army and he had heroes out there that hadn't used abilities. I'd be like, are you moving to your movement phase? Because it looks like you haven't used some of your heroes yet. And he's, and he's like, oh, oh yeah, I do have to use these. And you know, like I said, rules lawyering doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a jerk. Uh, it, you can remind people that they still have things that they need to do before they go to another phase. And obviously that depends on the opponent you're playing. If you're playing somebody who is a top tier player and you can tell right away that they're a great player, um, you don't have to remind them that. And, you know, you kind of know that they're going to penalize you if you forget things and you're going to penalize them if they forget things. And that's okay because you're playing at that level of professionalism. It's an even playing field. But, you know, you get somebody new, and I'll tell you what, I beat the pants off this guy, but he really loved playing with me because I taught him so much about his own units. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually really fun. That's actually a really nice story. And I, I think uh, I think you're a little loose than me in terms of explaining my army. Um, and I think, it, I think it really depends on, uh, on who you play as well. Uh, and you, yeah. you brought up a great point, is if, at the top levels, that's actually where I am more loose and I'm more casual. Uh, because I give my opponent my opponents the benefits of the doubt and that they know the rules uh, if they forget things and then we move to the next turn they, most of the time they'll say like shit I forgot it and then they will police themselves right, right. So they're willing have... to accept the consequences of their actions yeah and and that's that's great but that's not the majority of players who play the game by a mile 
right? That's that's a top percentile. More most of the players who play the game, and this is I think the something that you highlight in your article or you talk about in your article is most of them are are have the mentality of a more casual mentality and that's actually most of most of the people who play war games and 40k and age of sigmar in general uh and that's that's okay there's nothing wrong with that at all uh but if you compare it to magic the gathering uh the there are casual players who play magic casually like the the edh players or uh, edh is a casual format of magic um, EDH players do to play with their buddies. Uh, they don't really play standard or or competitively. They don't expect to win, but they still go to GPS. And but those players in general, if you were to put them in a 40k or Age of Sigmar setting, they would be considered to be more rules lawyery, uh, just because of the way Magic is made. There's the way the Magic rule set is. So, it's very structured. Extremely yeah. structured. So we're going to talk about some things that could make 40K and Age of Sigmar easier if it were, they were to borrow them from the magic structure and the magic rule set. Uh, and then this is mostly for tournament organizers, uh, players, people who want to just make the game a little fairer and a little bit easier for themselves. Uh, by no means you don't have to, you don't have to take anything from magic. Uh, and you don't have to take anything we say at all because, you know, it, it's ultimately it's your game. It's the way you want to play your game. Um, but for those of you who want to play the game with a little bit more structure uh, to promote fairness and to promote a base to promote a, a better game, because, because uh, let's be honest, I, I don't know about you, Josh, but the best games I have are ones where both players know all the rules. Uh, it Everything's clear cut. Uh, there's no ambiguity. And you both just focus on tactics, and you both just focus on the back and forth and playing and winning the game. Those, I well, think, I agree. Yeah, yeah, because that that those are the games where you have that you you are respecting the game, you're respecting the parameters, you respect each other, and you're showing a level of professionalism, and you're maintaining that balance. Right, and. Another thing uh, Josh and I talked about off off the podcast, off the air, uh, a little bit earlier in the week, um, which is we're not we don't always play like this. You know, there's there's times for casual settings. You know, I, I think if you're playing a game, for example, at a local game store, uh, and you're maybe teaching a buddy how to play Age of Sigmar or 40k, uh, or you're testing out a new list, you, you can a lot of times I'd like to throw procedurals out the window. Uh, when it comes just just to learn things. So, for example, if they forget to do stuff, um, or I might even let them replay their turn, uh, because it's all about taking it and taking the game and making it more educational, right? Or maybe right. more fun, right? Sometimes it's sometimes you know you just want to, as Josh said, drink a beer and I think you said uh, sling some cards around because I think you were talking about EDH. <laughs> well, <laughs> sling sling some cards, roll some dice, play King of the Hill, whatever. Yeah, that's Whatever what it was. Whatever your boat. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to do that, and you just want to, you know, forget about, you know, you don't want to worry about forgetting things, and, you know, and you just want to let loose a little. That's okay, too. It's absolutely fine. Uh, but since this is a competitive 40K podcast, uh, the general, the, a lot of my audience, the, you know, this is, these tactics and these procedurals, these are things that will help you promote uh, better 40K play and better age of sigmar play just to make your game better um and that's you don't have to take everything we say and you don't have to follow everything all the rules to a t but some amount a small amount of rules lawyering is important just for for making yourself better and 
like I've talked about multiple times on several podcasts, if you make yourself a better 40K player or a better Age of Sigmar player, you will have more fun in the long term. You will win more games uh, because people don't like losing games. It, it's true. Uh, your models will survive longer, uh, so you can run models that you normally don't run, uh, like Terminators, Space Marine Terminators, uh, or Gorgruntas, if you're an Age of Sigmar player. I know Gorgruntas aren't the best, uh, or Mornfang Cavalry. Those are even worse. Um, but you, So you can run those and feel confident in your ability to have a good competitive game. Uh, competitive, not like you know, crazy top tier, but competitive, like there's back and forths. Uh, there it's close. It's a close game between you and your opponent and you guys have a good fun game, uh, which it's hard to do if you're losing because you don't know rules or because you forget something or because you, you're not playing tactically sound, uh, which means you might get crushed, which means that might not be fun. Uh, and if you are a newer player, you might even quit the game. So, or, or because, or because your opponent doesn't know the rules. I mean, games in general, you know, you might say that it's all about winning, right? Win at all costs. You hear that term used around a lot. But um, being somebody who's knowledgeable about the rules is not about winning at all costs. Being somebody who's knowledgeable with the rules is about cooperation. Because even in competition... Uh, and I, I watched. The, I think I shared the YouTube video with you. It, I, I can't remember the the name of the professor that that taught the uh, lecture, but he's he was talking about how even when we are playing against each other, we are cooperating because we are cooperating to enforce the parameters that exist within the rules. So it's not about me just winning at all cost by making sure we go through the motions, making sure we follow the rules. I'm cooperating with you, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Just, you, we will cooperate. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but that is true. Uh, when you sit down, what, not maybe not sit down, but when you go up to a table with your opponent at an event or uh, at a local game store, even at your buddy's garage, you guys are making a silent pact to play this game and play by this rule set, uh, you know, and so when the rule set's different or muddied, uh, that pact might not be completely squared away because ultimately playing a game with someone is an agreement to something to prove once someone is better than the other in this moment, or uh, it's basically that's competition, that's games, right? You sit down with someone to play a game of chess, both of you know exactly what to expect from the game and what you're sitting down to do. Like, you know, so you're not sitting down to play a game with chess with someone and, you know, they're actually trying to angle to take steal your girlfriend or something. Right. Or like something (laughs) weird. I think that's a a, far cry from the game. (laughs) But but But, to illustrate the point, go on, Josh. (laughs) Well, I was going to say was, uh, you know, uh, you're right. So, you know, you, you. you are you when you're playing a game it's not necessarily about winning as it is as much as it is to be the best like we want to be the best but we have to cooperate to figure out who is the best and that's what the game is about perfect so moving on to magic the gathering uh and why it's so successful is magic the gathering's rule system is polished uh, because ultimately, Wizards of the Coast, uh, 
uh, I guess Hasbro, Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, the, the, well, Wizards, they they know that their game, they need, they need to have a polished rule set uh, because they want to focus on the community side, on the that unspoken agreement, because they know that that's the important key to keeping a game going and sustaining it for so long, right? So I think that's part of the reason why they, they spend so much time in rules in designing rules and uh you know banning cards and and basically making a polished game because they know that that's important and it's true magic the gathering uh, games steal things from magic all the time and if 40k were to borrow anything from magic if gw were to turn around and decide and release a uh what what did you call it the the procedurals for for events in case like things like you forget dice rolls and stuff oh the acronym uh, the the rules enforcement levels, but we'll, right. we'll talk about we'll that talk in a moment. We'll talk more about that. But but if GW were to turn around and release RELs for 40k, that that would be a step in Magic direction, which I think might be good for the game. But but that's just an example, uh, which GW doesn't do any of that. So well, let's just go ahead and talk about rules enforcement levels since we're here. Um, so okay. f- first and foremost, before we even get into rules enforcement levels, uh. Josh and I are in a bit of a disagreement here on this. Uh, I think that rules enforcement levels are things that should be put into place and you should try to implement as soon as possible. Uh, but on the flip side, I'll let Josh explain his side. So, all right. When when Age of Sigmar was released, I mean, I, I, I got into the game right about a little bit before they released the points. So I wasn't subject to this so much as the um, the legacy players were. But... Uh, when when you make a significant change to the way that people play a game, you have like a certain culture shock that occurs, and th- there's a risk involved in that. You know, I, I guess I don't necessarily think that REL is bad so much as I think that you know I'm not sure if the risk reward is there for GW. So if GW came out and said REL is a thing now, uh, and 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 just to get further into what REL is. Uh, REL means rules enforcement enforcement level. If we're playing in my basement on my six by four foot table, uh, it's just for fun. There's no level of rules enforcement unless we decide that there should be. If we go play at a comic book store and there's a tournament going on, there is a level of rules enforcement, but it might not be as strict as if we went to Las Vegas where everyone spent thousands of dollars to get there and play a serious tournament with hundreds of people. So that, that, that's rules enforcement in a nutshell. Um, but again, what I wanted to touch base on was culture shock. There's a huge casual uh, player base in, in uh, Warhammer. And I think that it would be a little bit too much of a shock if especially they'd have to coin it as something else because there's a lot of people that play Warhammer and Age of Sigmar that vehemently despise the level of rules enforcement in uh, Magic the Gathering. Yes. Uh, So so that's so to expand on what rules enforcement level is. Uh, a perfect example of something that might happen for rules enforcement level uh, is if my opponent were to forget an ability, 
uh, in Magic the Gathering, if you were to forget a, a triggered ability, something that automatically happens at the beginning of your turn, it, it has to happen no matter what. It's not a you may ability. It's not can. Uh, so it has to happen. There are there's a system in place. I won't get into it, but there's a system in place in the Magic rule set to determine what happens. Uh, has the board state changed or the game state changed? Which is has have cards been revealed? Is there new information that has been introduced into the game that could affect the game positively or negatively or affect the any of the player's decisions, right? So in 40k, you see this happen a lot with things like reserves, uh, where you roll for reserves and then you forget to place your unit and then it's your opponent's turn. You go, oh, I forgot my scouts. So what do you do when that situation happens? So that's that would be uh, rules enforcement levels would be would give you an avenue to how to, for how you would handle that. Right. Right. But and, and, and there would be a stricter rules yes. depending on the level. Yes. So like if your opponent, you know, shows up to a game 35, 40 minutes late, rules enforcement level, they lose a round. They're they're done. Right? There or um even like there's even you can go even further than that. Like what if your opponent cheats, knowingly cheats? Uh in, in magic, I once I built a an illegal deck, it was a draft, um, and I just forgot to switch out my sideboard. Uh, which happens, I know that's gobbledygook to you guys, but essentially I, I I forgot, I made a small mental error and I didn't change up my sideboard and the judges periodically will randomly check people's decks uh, and then there's like a checklist so they know what cards you have. It's it's really it's really intense. Uh, so they checked my deck, realized that I didn't switch on my sideboard and gave me a game loss, right? I, I wasn't upset because I knew that that's, what, that's the kind of stuff that happened to this event. Uh, but if you were to do that at a 40k event or an Age Sigmar event uh, where you randomly check lists and you find out your opponent has a list uh, and you were to give them, you can, first off, you can't give people in 40k game losses or in Age Sigmar game losses because there's no uh, rounds. There's no best of three rounds, right? Because there's not there's not enough time to play a best of three game uh, in in 40k or Age of Sigmar and also like have a not have like a week long tournament, right? So. So it, it's there's definitely some some things that Magic could or, or 40k and Age of Sigmar could take away from Magic, uh, but I think I think Josh is also correct that the culture strike might be a not, might be a little big, um, especially for something like if you if a person forgot their list or if maybe they didn't forget their list but they had a very very illegal list where basically their entire army was invalidated. What would happen? Would they get DQ'd from the event? If there's no way possible for them to be given a legal list to make their list legal, right? Like what what happens there? And then all of a sudden, you know, they spent thousands of dollars not only on this army but also maybe to go to the event. Uh, and they might also, on top of that, be a casual person who doesn't really care about this kind of stuff. And then, you, you know, it's it's it would be a big culture shock. So I, I do hear where Josh is coming from. Uh, but on the flip side, there are players that people consider to be so toxic and cheat so much that they that this rel is needed right so it, it right. it's really and i think in age of sigmar i don't think you have that uh just because age of sigmar the, the tournament scene for age of sigmar is not as well established as the 40k scene uh so it's, yeah go ahead it's it's interesting so i, I know what you're talking you're talking about people who abuse these loose rules to give themselves a competitive advantage yes and in, in effect what what happens at a very basic level is i am playing a game and you are playing a game but you're playing the game with a different rule set than i am 
and it gives you a competitive advantage. So we we are in a sense we're in essence not cooperating, and and these are the kind of cheaters that that you are referring to, and and I and I I agree with you. Um, it it would eliminate some of that, uh, and the other thing that that the yeah I want to touch on was Age of Sigmar has its fair share of jerks too. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> you know, we we've got them. They, they they just exist. They they exist in every single game. Um, uh, the other and, and you're right. Like there is not as big a competitive scene for Age of Sigmar, but Age of Sigmar is growing in popularity like crazy. And we're I, I was just having a conversation about this the other day, uh, and we're finally getting to this point where we're developing a meta. And nice. you know now there is this type of army and that type of army, and then there are key combos that people recognize right away, especially if you're a competitive player. Um, but it, it's getting to that point, and I think that because it's getting to that point, you're seeing the discussions that we're having now appear in our community, and they may have been appearing for a much longer period of time in your own. Well said. Age of Sig- I first off, I love Age of Sigmar. Uh, I know for those of you who follow our other podcasts and the rest of our content, uh, we are we are having a bit of an Age of Sigmar renaissance in the Frontline Gaming Studios right now. Everyone's picking up an Age of Sigmar army. Uh, we all love the game, uh, and a lot of people actively don't play 40k as much as they used to, um, and that's that's just through a combination of 40k, uh, the rules bloat in 40k, and also Age of Sigmar being such a, a brand new shiny toy that they can play with um so so i'm just barely getting into the age of sigmar community and the age of sigmar world uh so josh is definitely more of an expert there um but my point being is i think it's important to have these conversations now uh so before we go on to more about what we can take from magic although i think this is the biggest one uh i would like to hear what you guys think uh, so go ahead and go into the comments. I think I'm going to put this up on YouTube, too. Uh, Reese said he wants Chapter Tactics up on YouTube now. I don't know how I feel about that, because the YouTube comment section um, is a bit of a cesspool. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. I, I've, I've, seen some bad, I've seen some bad comments on mine. I think I, the one of my previous episodes, the comment, I, or I, the, the episode went up. And automatically, within an hour, the very first comment was pretty negative. Um, so <laughs> I was like, ah, that's that's so hard. But the the point is, is if you guys want to talk about it, uh, first off, if you guys have negative feedback about my podcast, like go ahead, please. I I love hearing constructive feedback. And if you guys, even if you guys go crazy and call me fat and a loser and a bunch of other ad hominems that's okay Jeez. as long as long as you as long as you guys are constructive and i can get something out of it that's fine um but uh, I, i'd like to hear what you guys think I, I really would like to know just in general like is is the 40k rule set and the age of sigmar is the rules enforcement level is it okay now does it get improved how much does it get improved if you want to improve it at all uh what do you take away what do you do uh you know, it, it, should there be different formats? Like, I really want to know what you guys think. Uh, if you guys, I know you guys don't talk a whole lot on the frontline gaming, uh, on the frontline gaming comment section on the blog, um, or you know, if you guys want to open a Facebook page, like just 
start the comment. I'm re super curious to hear what you guys think about this. And I think I will put this on Facebook on some of the competitive 40K groups just to see what everyone thinks. Uh, but anyways, moving on. So that's rules enforcement level. Uh, and that's basically, the I think, the big thing that 40K and Age of Sigmar do not have uh, versus Magic. Uh, so, Josh, is there anything else you can think of that that Magic does that you think 40K and Age of Sigmar could probably use? Um, so, you know, a lot of people have said to me they're right. Age of Sigmar and 40K, you know, they're not a one-to-one -one comparison. So you, you really can't, what, what, what works for Magic the Gathering won't necessarily work for Absolutely. Um, Age it's, of Sigmar. And, yes. and a great example of that would be, like you said, you can get three games of Magic in, in a half an hour if you'd like it. But you're, there's no way you're going to even come close. You might get past setup and the first turn <laughs> half an hour of Age of Sigmar, depending on the army that you're playing. So, you know, there's no way to do a best two out of three. That's a, that's a great example of how they, they differentiate. The other, the other thing is that Magic the Gathering is what's considered to be a, what is it? Oh, I've got to think of this term. It has to do with the level of complexity. It's an it's a game of incremental complexity. So the board state, it remains static until someone plays a card or uses an ability. Whereas Age of Sigmar and um, 40K have all these different things occurring all the time from different angles. It it. it it's totally different in that regard. So the, the level of complexity is, it stays very much the same in the beginning, in the first couple turns, and then like it decreases as your units die, if that makes sense. So that's another way that magic is totally different. Um, so the, it would require a totally different style of, of, of rule set. Uh, absolutely. I, and... Uh, to, to get on the complexity thing, um, magic is a different kind of complexity to, to Age of Sigmar and 40k. Uh, Age of Sigmar have more of a, a chess kind of, a, a, I guess, a, a lateral or a horizontal complexity. So, so magic, as you introduce more cards, it gets, the game gets more complex, but it's still linear. It's still one, you're still just introducing cards and it's just, like, it's just increases the depth of the game and as more cards are introduced you have to factor in um, but in 40k you know you already have all the information you need the only information you don't have is the dice however the options that you have in 40k are infinitely more complex because uh, if you think about it when you move a model five inches you can move it in 360 degrees five inches in any direction any number between zero and five and then if you multiply that times units and then you add in ranges, shooting, abilities, commands. And then on top of that, when you start taking away models, you start taking away certain options. Um, so it, it really it's really it's a lot like chess and that there's not a whole lot of complexity in the beginning because there's not a whole lot of options. Um, but as the game progresses, the mid game, there's literally millions of options. Uh, like in chess and 40k and age of sigmar uh, because you've moved things farther out so things can go in different directions uh, if you move a unit in the middle of the board and it's able to shoot multiple options um, and then yeah. and of course in the end game the the chess end game is is 
different than 40k and age of sigmar in that the chess in game is what makes you a grandmaster and what doesn't because you have you still have a certain amount of complexity in that there's a lot of different spaces but there's actually really only like a teeny bit of really really good moves um but you have the entire board to move around um 40k and age of sigmar not so much because there's objectives so it's a lot clearer for what you you know what you what you need to do and what you have to do like i have to move these guys onto this objective to win the game and that's it's that simple um so it does get a lot significantly less complex as units are removed uh but so one thing i think you could pull away from magic because i think there's some things you can't i th i know you can't there's no side-by-side -side comparison uh but there are some things that magic does in the game mechanics that i think 40k and age of sigmar could steal uh, and one is the idea of active players. And, and I know, Josh, I know you mentioned this. Um, so go ahead and mention what you told me in the beginning about the general's. I think you found it in the general's handbook with active players. It's actually the first time I ever read it was in the, the Blades of Corn handbook. But it might be in the general's hand, handbook. It just it didn't stick out to me in the general's handbook. But it doesn't speci specify the term active player. Okay, that that's one thing. Before I even get into this. <laughs> one thing that magic does have that 40k doesn't and i would love to see are key terms and there's some of that but uh there are a lot of cases where things do identical they have identical abilities in age of sigmar a great example of that is the blood letters and the retributors so the blood letters are the demons I mean, you guys are familiar with those they are in 40k um and and the Sigmarine Retributors, they're just like heavily armored um, guys with double-handed hammers. They're just gigantic, uh, very powerful. But they have identical abilities, but they're worded completely differently, yet they do exactly the same thing. Um, and that kind of problem could be solved by just having a keyword. This guy has... Uh, Vorpal. Sure, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a keyword now. And once we learn that keyword, we can associate it with the rules every time we see it. Um, and yeah, we might have a lot of them, but you know, I, I just think that it would be very, very helpful if they added in keywords. But what was the, what were we talking about before, before I got into this? We, we were talking about um, active players. Active players. All right, so... Uh, in Age of Sigmar, there, it's not termed active player. However, uh, they do mention that if in any phase you have abilities that can go off during your opponent's turn, they always happen after your opponent is finished with all the things he needs to do during that phase. So... There is some level of priority in Age of Sigmar. I don't know about 40k. Now, there, there's, there's, uh, we'll get into the priority in 40k because it's actually a little bit different. Um, but just to highlight why I think you need a more, you need a more fleshed out rule set. It's like what happens with Grot fanatics in that instance. So if you were to take that set, that phrase, and apply it to the entire game of Age of Sigmar to make the game simpler and universal and m basically make it easier to play. So Grot Fanatics, they have a rule where it's at the beginning of any combat phase, you can elect to move them out of the unit they've been hiding and then charge a unit that's within charge distance or just charge a unit. 
Uh, so think. Okay. So yeah. So so, but that happens at the beginning of any combat phase. So if you use it on your opponent's phase, they they I... haven't actually done all relevant things. To you know, so, do you, unless so unless you address. So I do have an answer for that. Go so. Ahead. Every war scroll, and, and this is actually a big inconsistency in Age of Sigmar, because some war scrolls, they have to refact them because, you know, obviously, you know, you know we talked about how uh, it's it just like what you're talking about now. Um, if a war scroll says something, it supersedes the core rule set. That's just the way it goes. And and it's the same way in, in most games. The, the, well, the war scroll is just a page with all the statistics associated with a unit and their abilities and whatnot. Um, so a war scroll is a document that applies to that specific unit. And if it has some sort of applicable role in regards to the core set of rules in Age of Sigmar, which is only four pages long, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it supersedes it every time. Uh, and, and that's that's kind of typical of most games, but that that's just how they work. So in, in the case of the Grot Fanatics, because it says in, in text, in, as written, it is at the beginning of the combat phase. It allows you to supersede the rule that states your abilities happen at the end. So if I may interject here. Real quick. So, what happens if both players have Grot Fanatics and want both Grot Fanatics to come out on that combat phase? In that case, there's actually a a rule that states if something were to occur at the same time, your opponent always does his first. Perfect. So, in in Magic, and that's actually in Magic, there's something similar to that where uh, there's active players or passing priority. Um, so, in Magic, you can do stuff pretty consistently on your opponent's turn or when other things happen um so to prevent the uh you know the like oh i got my card out on the table before you did your thing kind of like silly childish you, you know fast playing it, it's just right silly right so in order to prevent that uh when a player plays something and puts it on the stack which is which means uh, the stack is basically an invisible table uh that represents the player's abilities to react to something. Um, and as more things go on to it, it gets more complicated. Uh, look it up. I'm, I'm not going to explain it any more than that. Uh, but essentially, what happens is, is when a player plays something, they are still the active player, so they get a first chance to respond to that. So in this case, uh, the Grot Fanatic, the the opponent's Grot Fanatic, would, if, it's, if he's the active player and it's his turn, his Grot Fanatics would go out first. And then his opponent's Grotfnax would come out second. It's simple. Done. Uh, but where it get, might get a bit more complicated is when you start getting multiple things. Um, a perfect example is in 40k, uh, when a drop pod comes down, the unit must immediately disembark. It, the, the verbiage is clear. Immediately disembark. Uh, when you get into a unit like Kodiaz, uh, Kodiaz is a model that whenever a unit deep strikes or, or arrives from reserves within 12 inches of him, Kodiaz and his unit immediately get to make an out-of-sequence shooting attack at that unit, right? So you have two two verbs uh, or two instances of immediately uh, that happen at the same time. One is your uh, the the Kodiaz the owner of Kodiaz's. The other is the drop pod owners. How would that happen first? Forty k the forty k FAQ actually addresses it uh, loosely, and basically both players would roll off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't laugh, Josh. <laughs> at this least they what... said. At least they give you something. <laughs> um, in uh, if it were if it, this were a magic game and an instance like that would have happened, the drop pod player would decide how those. Pl- or actually, I think the drop pod player's ability would go on the stack first, and then the Cody has ability would go on the stack, and then the Cody has ability would resolve, and then the drop pod player or with the the drop pod player controlled. I think I think new magic. I think anyways. Uh, so basically what happened was the Kodiaz would shoot at the unit and then the drop pod guys would disembark if the drop pod didn't die. Everything's hunky-dory and fine. It's simple. We didn't spend like 20 minutes looking up the FAQ to figure out what happens. Right. Right. That, this is this brings me to another point, actually. Um, and, and they've mostly addressed... Well, they've, they've partially addressed it in Age of Sigmar, which I think is great, is that they have the War Scrolls on the site. And I don't think they do that with 40k. No. Am, I, am I correct? No. So you run into this issue where it makes it very difficult to, for example, do research and figure out what I want to buy to make the list that I want to create. Uh, because those scrolls aren't necessarily, or those scrolls or, or pages aren't necessarily available to you readily. Um, and so in Age of Sigmar, I can go onto my app on my phone. And I don't know if you guys can do this with 40k, but I can. And I can create an army list, and I can click on individual units and view their war scrolls immediately and click back and, and, and see the points accumulate and select the weapons and build it all dynamically on the app. And that's all supplied by GW for like uh, two bucks a month or something. Jeez, Josh, totally... you don't have to rub it in, man. <laughs> <laughs> the salt is real. Uh, but it, it's awesome. Like I can see all this stuff. Now, one thing they don't do that magic does is, uh, you know, Wizards provides you with a with a searchable database. So I can search for all these different cards with certain keywords. I can search for all these cards with, you know, different abilities. And and the, whenever I find a card, I click on it, I, I view it. The FAQ is or the FAQ, whatever you want to call it, is built right into the page right into the war scroll right into the whatever yeah you're talking about the gatherer uh, yes the gatherer which is amazing so yeah that's actually an interesting point um if i'll let you actually finish what you're saying i'm sorry so my my point is really going to end up being i think that gw sales would actually have would actually increase if they provided the players with the means to effectively build armies and get excited and theory craft for free that would be huge i i mean even a 40k version of the gatherer would be enormous like just imagine guys imagine for a second you you click on you you know you have a a unit like let's say space marine scouts you have a question about space marine scouts you click on space marine scouts on gw's official website uh, exactly like the way Age of Sigmar, their War Scrolls are free. Uh, so it just shows up on the scout's profile. You click on that, and then underneath the rules for the scout is a little a little frequently asked questions thing of all the questions that have ever come up about scouts and answers to them. So if you're wondering, like, well, how do scouts interact uh, in the 10th Company Strike Force when they've scout moved? Well, it boom. GW's already answered that. It's right there underneath the scout data slate. Right there. Easy, easy peasy. So right. it, it, the way Magic does it, it's brilliant. It just, it's just the game is so streamlined so that you don't have to worry about interpreting the rules. 
that you just focus on playing the game. It's it's just magical. <laughs> uh, no it, pun intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some someone rolled. Someone just rolled their eyes and turned off the stream right now. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, uh, but anyways, it, I, I think I think that's another thing that that I'm glad you brought up the gatherer, Josh, because I actually didn't think about that at all. Um, but yeah, could you guys just imagine that? And I know the ITC with the FAQ, the ITC FAQ tries to do that or tries to do that as best as they can. Um, but that's hard, you know. Uh, so that's something. That's an example of something GW could do internally with their structure to make their game so much better. Um, and obviously that's difficult, right? That's not. I'm not saying that GW should do that. And I don't want to feel entitled to something like that. But GW, if you're listening, that would be pretty damn cool. You know, if you had something like the Gatherer for both Age of Sigmar and 40k, right? They're pretty close on Age of Sigmar. The 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 you should download the Age of Sigmar app on your phone. It's, oh, I it's, have it. It's amazing. Okay, yeah, it's excellent. I mean, it's it's not quite there yet, but it's you know what? It's from what I understand, it's leaps and bounds better than what they had. So I'm, you know, I'm I you beggars can't be choosers, right? Right. But uh, but yeah, so so that's something that's definitely something 40k could use, uh, just just in terms of like active players, um, and just more rules clarity, uh, and then another th- real quick small thing that I had is uh, definitions. So uh, when a model moves, in 40k it's, it's a little ambiguous. Then that uh, some some rules reference that when a model moves, they only count it as moved in the movement phase. Uh, because they can only physically move in the movement phase or something. Um, whereas others say like a model can't move, they can't move period, like ever, like it can't run. Uh, so so model movement isn't clearly 100% defined because some models will like, especially when their FAQ came out, some models would be able to move in other phases, like with run moves or with turbo boosts or something. Uh, but, you know, anyways, it's it's just without getting into too much detail and i'm sure you guys are already thinking of your own weird uh rules debates and rule intricacies in 40k and age of sigmar that we haven't even touched on um because i've generally found that the viewership is smarter than me (laughs) if you guys were here live right now i would never have to remember another rule ever i could just be like (laughs) i'd be like hey guys what's this rule do and they would be like oh boom 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 idiot so we're for, I'm just we're very lucky actually yeah, we, we, we have that defined for us uh yes it's a, it actually in in a it, that question was asked and uh they faq'd it and they said these are the times we are referring to when it says move yes uh and movement was during a move during a run during a charge and during a pile-in and you know all those things a, a, a movement Movement occurs during the movement phase, moves and charges, or moves and runs. Uh, the charging phase, there, you know, that's when you roll two d6 and you're able to see if you reach your opponent's or their your opponent reaches your models. They come within half an inch, and then the pile-in phase is where you kind of selectively move your models around your enemy's unit uh, three inches when you're about to attack. So you know they actually got down to the nitty gritty and they said, here are the times when movement actually occurs because there's just so many rules regarding movement. Uh, and that was just, like you said, it's such a big question. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know what? And that's great that GW did that. And 
I'm not the reason this the reason this podcast was made and the reason why we're talking about all this stuff is not because GW is doing a bad job. It's actually quite the opposite. Uh, Games Workshop is doing an amazing job with the FAQ, um, with updating rules, even the new Gathering Storm books. I know people might cry like, "Oh, Eldar cheese." Uh, there's actually it, internally in the books, you know, kind of like an internal balance and. Uh, they, I feel like they really did a good job in trying to make it as clear as possible for how these rules worked. Uh, obviously, with a rule like Strength from Death, uh, there's still going to be some questions, but they FAQ'd it immediately. Um, so I just I feel like GW has doing a better been doing an amazing job um, with just their their rules creating and uh, FAQing and making it clear to their community and their fan base and their their player base that we're we're going to make this game easier to play for you rules wise and we're going to do our part and what a company should do for its player base which is great it's it, so the the reason why we're even bringing this up is because of gw's openness to change and improve their game um so like two years from now if someone were to suggest to uh, or so if i were to just suggest to someone or i guess not two years because in in sixth edition if uh someone were to suggest to me hey GW should do this, I might say something like, well, they're never going to do that. Right? Why even bother? Why even bother changing the game? Right? So, it, it, this new GW is great. It, it, it's amazing. Uh, and yeah. so, so, we're not being negative at all. Uh, I'm, I'm at least, I'm not trying to be negative. Um, I, I guess I'm very blessed because I, I came in at a time where they had just decided to be this way. And so, as far as I've, as, ever since I've known gw they've been really good uh at you know updating these things and of course i'd like to see more because i'm just used to this extremely explicit and descriptive uh set of rules um but you know like it's like you said you know it's not necessarily that you know this conversation isn't about taking away the fun of the game or the spirit of the game it's about getting rid of those conversations that keep us from playing it. Amen. That's it. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, so <laughs> so we'll go ahead and go on to the next topic, uh, which is player profiles. Uh, right after this commercial break from the guys over at the Life After the Cover Save, if you guys haven't listened to them, they are hilarious. They're great, uh, which basically explains what we do at Frontline Gaming. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day. And up to 25% off Games Workshop stuff. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings... I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. 
So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. And we're back. So, Josh, to move on to a, a lighter, more fun subject, um, there were there were player profiles or player personalities that were released in Magic about ten years ago, maybe maybe a little bit earlier than that, uh, which defined the player personalities of Magic. Um, there were three: there were Johnnies, Timmies, and Spikes. Uh, and these three players. Uh, did a really good job of representing the different kinds of players that you ran into in Magic, uh, and basically what why players enjoyed the game. Uh, they were called psychological profiles. They were psychological profiles of players. Um, so I would like to talk about those three and relate them to 40k and Age of Sigmar uh, because they're very they're very similar. Um, there's psychological there's psychological profiles in 40k for players because uh, different players play 40k and play Age of Sigmar for different reasons, you know. So we're gonna talk about that, and then you guys can decide which ones you are. Um, so the first is Timmies. Timmies are the players who. Hold on, let me just. I lost they, my notes real quick. Well, so they they like big things. Yes. Yeah, so like large, <laughs> exciting plays motivate them. Right, so Timmy's Timmy's are they want to have they they're kind of like the guy who like drops his stampa on the board or his big huge model and he's like, I just want to blow shit up with this, like this Thunderhawk, this stampa, this Titan, um, this Star Drake, he's a big baddie. I paid like a billion points for him. He's not cost efficient. I don't care. I'm gonna blow shit up with this guy. I'm gonna have a blast doing it. That's a Timmy in a nutshell. Um, also big plays. Things like large units. Uh, if you go to a more competitive side, Death Star players tend to be Timmies because they have these big, or actually they're they're Timmy Johnnies. But we'll we'll go into when we get to Johnnies. Um, but they're you know they have like this big, cool unit that's like super hard to kill and it's just going around just murdering things like a Death Star. Just boom, that unit's dead. Boom, that's unit's dead. There's no intricacy. There there's no rhyme or reason. It's just this big thing. And it's exciting. And I, I actually, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Timmy. Um, when I play, I like like alpha strikes and like aggression and, and just like these big, like boom, go straight for the head, go straight for the kill. Oh, I didn't work. I lost on turn one. Oh well. Um, so I play, I play a little bit differently as a Timmy. Uh, so that's what a Timmy is. Uh, so if you're a Timmy player, it's important to stay to your roots and you can actually be a Timmy player even in competition, even in competitive play. Uh, so just don't try to be something you're not. And that's actually the kind of point of this, this whole player profile uh, for 40k and Age of Sigmar analysis is to identify maybe what kind of player you are uh, and play to that strength. So like, don't try to play out of your element. Well, the the player profiles actually um you're 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 right in the sense that you should play the game you want to play, but the reason the play player profiles were created was that they wanted to provide each of these different profiles with some sort of satisfying flavor in the game. Oh, you're right. Oh, so, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so it was it was actually a, a way to develop the game because they recognized that these. These and there, there's a sort of a fourth one, uh, 
that exists, but the, 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 the tournament style players, there were three types that kept showing up that were, that were totally different. And so they, whenever they came out with a new set, they wanted to make sure they, they satisfied the appetite of those three styles of players. So that way they would keep coming back. But I, I definitely agree with you. Timmy's are, they're the guys that I don't know if they're necessarily competitive because they don't, necessarily care about winning like you said so much as they care about these large models being on the board or these grand plays being made um you know a great example in age of sigmar might be uh gordrak who's this like orc on a giant dragon and the thing is like if most tournaments are 2000 points this thing is like 700 plus points so it's almost half your army and in a lot of cases, a single alpha strike could kill it. So you got to be very careful using it. But it's over. I think it's over cost. That's my per, my, my personal opinion. <laughs> but the, the, but a Timmy's gonna love throwing that on the field because they're like, this thing's just awesome. I can't wait to kill some of my enemies' models with it. I hope a couple of them go down. I'm cool if it dies. Whatever. But I got to put it onto the table, and we had a good time. Yeah. And uh, another reason why these player profiles are very important is because if I feel like if you have all three of these player profiles in your game uh, at tournaments, uh, you have a healthy game, or you healthy you have a healthy meta, right? So if if the for example if you if you were to go to a tournament and it were to be Timmy focused, like there were big models just ruled the day. Like if imagine if Imperial Knights were just the best unit in the game. That's it, hands down. You always <laughs> ran Imperial Knights. So you, you would always show up to game to tournaments and you would always play Imperial Knights. The Timmies would love it. Be like, yeah, my Imperial Knight's going to duel your Imperial Knight in the middle of the board. We're going to have a grand old time. Um, maybe not because because I think even Timmies might get bored. They might want to run other big models. But the point <laughs> is, is that the other two player profiles might start not having as much fun. Right? Yeah, they and, might go play a different game. Exactly. So that's why these player profiles are also very important. Um, so as a TO or as someone who's trying to FAQ or ban stuff or uh, change their tournament to tweak, uh, to cater to multiple players, remember these are the three player profiles in general that you're going to see. Uh, and it's a really generalized, broad spectrum. Um, but I found that almost everyone I've ever met falls into one of these three. In, or hybrid uh, or hybrids or the, and we'll talk about hybrids after we, we talk about all of them uh so we'll go ahead and go into johnny's now uh johnny's tend to build they, they like they like intricacies and complexities and rules interactions uh so a, a good jo example of a johnny might player might be like a demon player um someone someone who likes all those different psychic spells all those different options they all happen in kind of cool unique ways to create some masterpiece you know maybe he's like a demon prince with all these cool buffs that he does all these cool things uh like he gives all these little maybe he's like a good force multiplier uh but, but basically it turns out into some create it creates some a combo which is that's what johnny's are they're combo players uh in a nutshell um good the other the other thing you'll typically see johnny do is they will take a unit that everyone thinks is crap and they will make it into the most threatening thing you've ever seen. And sometimes it's awesome, and other times it doesn't work. But a Johnny doesn't necessarily care whether or not they win the game. 
more so that they win the game on their own terms. Yes. Like I won I won this game because I brought mandrakes and they're my secret tech, uh, which is yep. something I use a lot, a term I use a lot um, in my other podcasts. Tech is uh, something that's niche or different in your list. Your opponent might not expect because it's so obscure, it's so bad, it's off meta, um, but it's something critical to your list that makes your, your list tick, right? That's tech. Uh, you generally don't need a lot of it. You don't run a lot of it. A perfect, I think a good example of tech um, in Age of Sigmar might be uh, like uh, actually tech would be uh, Josh, help me out here. A lot of death lists are are tech. There's a great Nurgle list that uses a combination of all these things to make um, chaos warriors just damn near indestructible i mean it's incredible <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but they don't do like any damage but they just they hold the line and you're able to take all the objectives and you know there are lists that beat it like there are hard counters but it was a very johnny list and it was super competitive and it was really cool and uh that that's a great example yeah a perfect example of a johnny player in 40k um of I don't know if he'd ever admit this, but Sean Naden, a really good competitive 40k player, a perennial top eighter, a perennial top tabler, he he's running. He ran. Uh, he won the LVO three years ago now with a Lictor Shame list. He used uh, Lictors, which were a model no one used because they sucked, uh, and he won with it. And he's famous for it. He, you know, it's it's a really, it, it's a it's. I think it's a big part of 40k history, competitive 40k history, to highlight. Uh, and the reason why it was so cool for a lot of players is because it was so Johnny. It was, you know, he won with a bunch of unique combinations and a faction that was perceived as bad, Tyranids, with arguably some of the worst models in Tyranids, Lictors. Like, no one no one expected it. And he won the whole tournament with it. And this is, this is a large tournament. This is the Las Vegas Open. This wasn't a small fries, you know, like, 18-man tournament. This is big. Uh, he caught a lot of really good players off guard with that list, uh, so so that's that would be like a Johnny's a Johnny's like wet dream, right? So right. Something where they win a tournament, uh, they win it with this list that no one's ever heard of, with models that they found to be good, uh, and then through rules interactions and combos and outplaying their opponents, they won the event, and that's what they're known for. So like that's the, and that's okay. The lethal joke character, right? <laughs> um and then uh the last one is our spikes uh spikes are known they are known to be more the most competitive of the three gender of the three profile player profiles uh they they are not above net listing or creating another player's or copying another player's work because they know that's what ticks um they use only efficient points efficient models uh to you know, basically to secure a fast and effective victory. Um, it spikes want to win. Uh, they, they don't, they do care if they lose. Um, and also on top of that, they also, also tend to be innovators, uh, but, but less in a Johnny sense and more of like a, like, this is my pro deck, you know, like I won with my battle company. Like this is my battle company. It might look like a different battle company, but it's actually just tweaked slightly so I can win with it. Um, but so so that's that's basically what spikes are um and that's actually i think we'll focus a little bit more on those in the sense that 
Age of Sigmar and 40k players in general in the community tend to shy away from spikes, right? Being a spike is considered uh, poor form, poor sportsmanship. Uh, you know, min-maxing is sometimes used as a, dero as a derogatory term. Uh, what min-maxing is, is when you try to get the minimum, spend the minimum amount of points for the maximum amount of value. Uh, so you, you take upgrades away from units, right? Uh, you try to add as many units as you can to do as many things as you can. Uh, and from a list building perspective, especially when players ask for other players for list advice, like on forums like DACA or on Facebook and Facebook groups, uh, when players suggest min-maxing-ish things, other players will typically tend to get offended. Like, well, why are you telling me to change my list? You know, I don't want to take this plasma pistol off this sergeant, you know, or I don't want to take out Gordrak. You know, he's he's Gordrak. He's my guy. He's my boy. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I know I can run, you know, a unit of brutes or like five units of brutes or whatever instead of Gordrak. I don't care. I want to run Gordrak. So, so that's that's kind of where where spikes differ than from Johnny's and Timmy's. Uh, spikes are all about efficiency. Um, they're also spikes are also very focused on procedurals and sound rules play, uh, and playing the game the way you know, like not not the way it's meant to be played, um, but not making mistakes. Right. So the, they followed the rules explicitly, but you know, to win the game. And that doesn't necessarily... So I want to talk about that term real quick, win at all cost. There is a big difference between a spike and someone who wins at all cost. And there was, there was an example in my thread where I originally posted the article I wrote where a, 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 a poster talked about an instance where another player in a tournament accused their opponent of cheating so that the other person would get disqualified and they would win the the event and the cheating that had occurred was allegedly the person who called for it so like what happened was they moved some units they nicked some cards whatever and then blamed it on their opponent no and ultimately and they the, their opponent got disqualified that's winning at all costs that's not respecting the rules. That's that's not even playing by the rules. Yeah, that's not, uh, and that's not something that even tournament players want. Like no one right. wants that. No one wants to see that at all. No, it, as a competitive player, I just want to play the game as it's as specified by the parameters and the rules. And I, of course, I want to be the best. That's the whole point, <laughs> at least for the competitive player. Uh, and for a spike, a spike is all about being the best within those parameters and so you know a spike like you said they might net deck or they might net list and to them that is not an insult that doesn't make a spike bad at the game the spike is excellent at the game they're really good and they don't care that they net decked or net listed because they're there to win and if that means that they'll win then they're going to play it. Well said. Uh, so, so that's and that that's important um, to note. So there are combinations of spikes, Johnny's, and Timmy's. Uh, I personally, I'm a I'm a Timmy spike. Uh, I like I like winning with these big, grand moves like uh, like an alpha strike, like a turn one charge. Um, maybe not necessarily a combo. Um, it can be sometimes as simple as just one big hammer unit, just 
boom. And then I, I would use that to either demoralize my opponent, take away key units that they might have might have either wanted to play with or that they wanted to use to win with their own their own way or to win the game period. Uh, and then use that psychological advantage and also that it that maybe board advantage to win the game my way right so that's that's kind of like i'm a big i'm that's i'm an aggressive player uh that's that's why i'm a spike timmy that's my my niche you would be crazy if you weren't a spike because you're on here talking about competitive play, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some some everyone, sort of spikiness. Everyone immediately was like, "Oh yeah, Pablo's a spike." <laughs> <laughs> I I am more of a Johnny spike, in that, of course, I'm gonna try and beat your pants off. That's just the way I am, but I want to do it in a way that involves some kind of like wacky series of combos and tricks and. If I don't do that, if I'm just like you said, like throwing some big hammer at the other, that's just not that's not satisfying to me. Right. And so, you know, that's that's exactly why I play corn, because the corn army in Age of Sigmar is about lots and lots of buffs and synergies. So that appeals directly to me. And I actually did. I tried three armies out before I settled on corn. Uh and that was why I just I enjoy that that kind of engagement that but I but I also want to win and they are very competitive. Yeah. And, and so to to recap, uh, the reason why we decide uh, why I decided to highlight these player profiles um, was to show you guys why players disagree and argue and uh, on the Internet about what they perceive to be or like what they think the way they think the game should be played, um, because I think in 40K that's a lot of that's a lot of what what you know what a lot of the tension is in the community is um some players might think like well you know these imperial knights they're unfun they ruin the game even though they don't win tournaments um, but for that player maybe they're a johnny who whose whole combo whole plan reason for being gets thwarted because he can't hurt an imperial knight player right but on the flip side a timmy loves imperial knights so that Timmy wants to use his Imperial Knight, um, and he doesn't understand why his buddy doesn't want him to use Imperial Knight because he's a Timmy. You know, he doesn't understand that his buddy wants to use this unit with this unit to make this powerful unit, but this powerful unit can't hurt a knight, right? So the Timmy might think like, "Well, my buddy's just—he's just being sour grapes," right? <laughs> so, so that's unfair. That's uh, <laughs> right. So, so the we have to understand yeah. that there are players sure. that. Yeah that play the game to enjoy the game differently. Uh, and we have to all accept each other. Uh, you know, I'm a spike Timmy, but uh, pure Timmy or pure Johnny, if I meet them uh, and you know, they get upset. I'm not going to tell them like, Oh, you should have been a spike. You should have been maxed. No, no, they just, they wanted to enjoy the game their own way. And that's perfectly okay. Right. Uh, when you go to a tournament and in a tournament setting, you obviously there's, there's different, there's uh more pronounced versions, more pronounced versions of spikes in tournament settings. Uh, but when you analyze the player base as a whole, you still want Timmy's and Johnny's at your events, and that's why uh, that's why things that's why uh, games like Magic, who actively try to cater to all three players, that's why they're so successful. Uh, so moving on to 40k, uh, I think the meta 
I, th I think we unfortunately we can't control what GW changes with their rules. Um, but when tournament organizers ban certain models, like for example, when they ban the supremacy suit, uh, they're basically giving Timmy players who want to play the supremacy suit like the middle finger, right? So you have to decide a as a TO, as a game designer, or someone who makes an FAQ like the ITC, like Adepticon, like Nova, like ETC, you know, European the ETC format. Um, you you should look at the player profiles and figure out like, well, what player profile am I hurting with this ban uh, by banning this model um, or this FAQ or this rules nerf or this rule change? Like, what what player profile am I hurting? Are is that player profile? Do, do those players already have their own? You know, do they have something that they can gravitate towards? Is it a Timmy Light meta, right? So are big units discouraged? Uh, so, so it's it's actually it's very important to look at it from a TO perspective, and that's another reason why I wanted to bring this all up. Uh, now, there is also two more profiles. Uh, they are aesthetic profiles, so they are not psychological profiles. These are players who. Uh, aesthetically get aesthetically enjoyments out of the game um one of them is the most by far one of the most prominent uh player profiles in 40k and age of sigmar uh and the other one is is a little more hidden but i think still has a place uh one the one i'm talking about is vorthos vorthos are players are uh flavor players um they focus on the narrative on consistent narrative on illustration uh uh, representations of their armies a perfect example of a vorthos player might be a guy who plays ultramarines uh he plays reboot Gaiman, the primarch of the ultramarines he runs kalgar he has his his doctrines his tactical squads with with one heavy weapon each um and they're all painted blue because they have to be blue because they're ultramarines blue uh and that's what they get they get that enjoyment out of the game uh and i think vorthos players i think as 40k and Age of Sigmar, the way it's been marketed to all of the player base, I think we're all a little bit of Vorthos players, right? Um, people give me a lot of shit for running a battle company and 30 warp spiders because they're two separate factions. It's very un-Vorthos. Like, why would, why would Space Marines and War Eldar be working together, specifically these warp spiders? Like, they're not, they're not like a weird, they're like this weird special niche branch of Eldar, like why would they be helping a space marine battle company? You know, a whole force <laughs> that's meant to take out an entire planet and conquer it by itself. Like why? You know. Um, and on top of that, I am a little bit of Vorthos player in that my warp spiders are counts as space marine conversions, so they're not even really Eldar models. They're space marines that have Xenos technology that make them act like warp spiders. Right, so to, and that's to justify a Vorthos side of me, right? Because I even I don't want to run just Eldar models because they look ugly next to my blue Space Marines, my blue Ultramarines, right? So, so yeah, go, go ahead, Josh. I, I had a an experience at a, a tournament in New Jersey where I was playing against Tomb Kings uh, in Age of Sigmar, and and the thing about Tomb Kings, it they are they received a they're going to receive a significant point increase, be and they they've already released released a trial uh, of those points, and 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 have encouraged tos to to use those points, but they're practically unkillable. It's terrible. You run into them, they don't kill you. You don't kill them. They're just stuck. And I and I'm playing corn, so corn is a very 
aggressive army. We don't care where the blood god blood as long as there's blood you know let's just kill stuff right so i ran into a situation on turn three i had the option to either continue my fruitless efforts to kill his stuff and watch him slowly whittle my guys down or i could retreat my units onto the other two objectives that he moved units off of to you know keep me from killing them to just instantly win the game. So I had this choice where I had to make this, you know, do I do I do this thematically themed thing where I keep fighting or do I just retreat onto the objectives and just insta win? And I I, I chose to win the game. <laughs> and I got a lot of flack from my opponent. You're not supposed to do that. You're corn. How could you flee? And I said, because it won me the game. And he just, he, there was no argument. He just, Sorry, those are the rules. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it is that there is that. Uh, it's almost like people. I've run into situations where people don't expect you to do something like retreat just because you're playing corn and it's not thematic. Yeah. Even if it will win you the game. And it, it's crazy. But, yeah. but that, you know what? He's a Vorthos player. That's okay. Yeah. That, that narrative yeah. aspect is the is key to 40k and the right where most players that's the way most players think and play even at the highest levels of play you know there are players uh for example thomas oki he's the best it was the best space brain player at the itc last season he refuses to run allies to run something other than emperor's children white scars battle company um which is a little bit of a vorthos naysayer gotcha thomas um but but he's he's a very much a Vorthos flavor aesthetic player. Right? right. But he's also extremely competitive. And he, he beats he would beat the crap out of me if we played nine times out of ten. Um so, go ahead. Speaking of, about um you were talking about tournament organizers, uh, with the spikes and the Melvin Melvins and the and the Vor or you haven't even touched Melvin. You're you're talking no. about Vorthos. Uh Johnny and you're right about, uh, you know, not banning certain things that pertain directly to a certain personality type. But uh, just above that, if there was some sort of ban list or or uh, a higher level of rule, like some sort of REL, like you're talking about, or or for example, a regularly updated war scroll. And I know you are not in your case. I don't know what they're called in 40k. Um, but, and they are on the, the problem with you guys is you have to pay for yours. So they, <laughs> they, they can't just update them on a regular basis with us. They can just be like, Oh, that's stupid. We didn't mean that. So, uh, no, we do have, they scribble it out and we, what we do have electronic codexes. Oh, you do. do okay. That, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's frequently updated. I, I see. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it, so I don't know. That's okay. Um, but you know, they'll just update them regularly for us. Uh, or 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 change it in the fact because it's way too overpowered and someone interpreted it properly and they wrote it wrong. Uh, you know, if they released all this stuff, TOs would have such an such a breeze when it comes to like setting up a tournament because the balancing act and all that stuff, they'd just be going, we're running with the 
the regular enforcement level. We're running with REL rules. That's it. You know, they, they don't have to worry about all these little intricacies that they're concerned with because GW didn't think hard enough when they made a particular unit and that it has some interaction with a unit that was made 10 years ago. And because GW finds out that this unit's absurd with that one and all they have to do is write that into the into the rules of that war scroll or whatever and and then you know publish it on the site hey we've updated this thing you know it's not it's not this way anymore so it's not busted or or hey we've updated the the rules to accommodate for this particular scenario or you know and then the TO is you know it's it's a breeze for them because then they run into a situation you got two players upset and they 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 hear out the situation they hash it out and they just they look it up on the site sorry bub it says this thing and he's right or he's wrong or whatever uh, but that that is a frequent complaint i get from tos where they have to spend weeks just analyzing all these different interactions and hearing all these different opinions and you know of course they don't have the time to play test every single scenario they just have to make the best choice with the information that they have. So they might not even be making the right choice, but they have to make a choice. And they do, and sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. And but, but every single time it's a big pain in the butt and they have to spend a lot of time doing it. So TOs, if you're listening to this podcast, or if you have a buddy who's a TO who's not listening to this podcast, you probably should. Uh, let them know about these player profiles. Or, you know what, just let me do the work and just link them to this podcast. <laughs> and then uh, they can listen to it. And y you're right. You're right, Josh. The TOs, as someone who's in ITC uh, and has had to deal with the intricacies of figuring out how to FAQ, um, what to nerf, should it be nerfed, uh, it, it gets really, it's really time-consuming. It's uh, hard. It's hard. It's super hard. Uh, so thinking about these player profiles as you do it does make it a little bit easier uh, in the sense that you you know you now have a, a base to how to balance your game right because you're generalizing all the players that you're going to be catering to uh, and you know now why certain players like when you ban something why certain players will be upset and why other players won't be uh, but Vorthos players since there's so many of them uh, and you, you kind of have to accept the fact that if you're going to play competitively at an event um, you kind of have to put your Vorthos psyche in check a little right so like my boy, my boy Thomas who's a Vorthos player uh, he puts his Vorthos side in check a little bit to run his Emperor's children but have them use White Scar's chapter tactics uh, because, because even he knows that you have to if you want to win and you want to be the best you have to let aside a small part of your aesthetics uh, player profile aside to win to appease your psychological side. So he sacrifices his Vorthos to appease his spike. It, it, you know, and um, th there's nothing wrong with that. Now, on the casual side, th the reason why I brought these, uh, I guess I'll talk about Mel's real quick. Uh, Mel's are players that enjoy car uh, units and models for their mechanics. So, like, uh, if you had, like, for example, Kodiaz in 40k, he's really unique. You know, he's got this cool rule. Uh, I've been, I've been expecting you. It's got a cool name, and it does exactly what you expect. You know, he 
foresees into the future your plans and then has set up a perfect counter in this case an out of sequence shooting attack to shoot you and stop you from from doing what you need to do to kill him right so it's really cool flavor wise it's a cool mechanic it's a cool unique rule um so a mel player loves stuff like that uh they love models and units and factions with these different rules uh mel players also like it when factions do the things that they're supposed to do uh the necrons should be hard to kill guards should run a lot of bodies you know eldar should be really tricky and and kind of special because their race is dying out you know corn run at things and they should have the rules that represent that uh, so that's aesthetically that's what mel's like they like the mechanics and they like that things are represented on the board by their mechanics and by these unique mechanics um did i miss anything josh i think i got it all. no i'm 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 kind of a, a mel player on the other side uh i love flavorful rules it is such a big thing for me if you can a great example of that is uh, Belacor in um, in Age of Sigmar. He's got some great flavored rules. Um, I know everyone hates him, but <laughs> Sael the Faithless. <laughs> I love his rules. I think they're excellent. I just think he's a little undercosted. Um, Sael the Faithless. Uh, for those of you who don't play Age of Sigmar, he's um, a broken model that every Chaos player brings. And well, there's there's also reasons for every chaos player bringing that model, uh, and, and and it is that almost every faction has its movement mechanic built in to to the to the faction. You know, you know, all all the newer ones anyway. And and destruction is just built into the allegiance uh, already. So chaos, a lot of the chaos factions don't really have a movement mechanic. So you're at this huge disadvantage against every single army that has some crazy movement mechanic and you really can't do anything. You're kind of at the mercy of the game. Um, you bring Sael in and all of a sudden it's it's your, you are competing at the level they are competing. Yeah, and um, I think, for those of you who don't know, I think he moves a unit 18 inches. and they Yes, he has, a, he has a spell on a six up uh in, in on a six up and once per turn he can use three dice instead of two dice to try and cast once per game he can use three dice instead of two dice uh and it gives them 18 inches in fly like you said and and flying in age of sigmar is i don't know if you have flying in in 40k but it's super powerful like it's you can do so many there's nothing in 40 but go on explain explain what fly does fly effectively means you can pass through any object in the game as if it didn't exist when you're moving so you know if you're you see terrain well guess what if you have flying it doesn't really matter if you can make it to the other side of the terrain so be it and with 18 inch move you can do that but the problem is with sail you've got all these armies and they do still have their minor bonuses to movement so you add all those things up and when you when you fly across the field and you do a charge i mean yeah, it's one unit, but you can do whatever you want with that unit for one turn if it's successfully cast. And that that's why he's so good. Um and and I'm I'm happy that the uh Deep Blades of Core came out because I think that um that that's the new book with all the new rules for for the corn associated units. Uh but I I'm, I'm really happy that that came out because they 
finally released a lot of rules in that book that added a good amount of mobility to the army. And that was the biggest thing it was lack, lacking. And even if they make a points increase to Sayel, I'm happy that I got into Corn first because he's cool and he likes to kill everybody. And, and that they updated my army and that it's going to be competitive even when they make a points increase on Sayel. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So. So. I can hear myself echoing. Ah. Um, uh, I'm done now. I think, I think that was oh, it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, so now that we have we've introduced you guys to player psychological profiles. There's Timmy, the guy who likes uh, or girl, the a player who likes the big things, big awesome grand things. Uh, the Johnny, who the player who likes the intricate, the combos, and then the spikes who are competitive. Uh, those are the three psychological profiles. And then there's the two aesthetic profiles, uh, the Mel's, the mechanic players who like rules mechanics and things to move, things to play the way they, they are. Uh, and then Borthos who are the flavor mechanic, the flair aesthetic players who like uh, things to look at the, you know, the way they should aesthetically due to like a narrative or something. Um, it's, it's important for you guys to listen to these profiles and decide not only who you are, but who your friends are and the way they play. Uh, 40k is a very social game. Uh, we we live and die by a social contract to play the game uh, because it's so easy to to cheat your opponent in this game by taking advantage of these rules uh, of of these uh the I don't want to say poorly written rules, but uh, of these uh like unclear rules. Um. So it's very easy to take advantage of your opponent and to cheat. Uh, so we live and die by a social contract. And I think this knowing how, you know, what kind of player profile your opponent is uh, and what kind of player profile your friends are, I think it's important to see, you know, how they get enjoyment out of the game. Um, so if you kill your opponent's big model and they're a Timmy, you know, you know, you know why they're upset, right? So, and th this is very important for bringing new players into the game and for the overall health and improvement of a game. Uh, if your if your little brother or a friend of yours wants to get into the game, uh, you first thing you should do is you try to figure out what kind of player they are. Are they a Timmy? Well, hey, buddy, I've got this Imperial Knight for you. You can borrow him, you, you know, give him a whirl. Uh, are they a Johnny? You know, hey, man, there's Chaos Demons. They're pretty cool. They've got all these unique, interesting reactions. they got four gods you could relate to. You know, are they a Vorthos? It... It's important to know to increase the the community of the game and to make the game more popular and make the game better. Uh, so that's the reason why I started talking about these. Uh, that's where we're going to end it. If you guys have any questions, you can always email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. Uh, also, I would like to know what you guys, also in the comments, what players you guys are or some stories of maybe Spikes losing to a Timmy and maybe the spike getting irritated or anything. Uh, so go ahead and let me know. Uh, also, if you, once again, if you guys have any questions about list building, tactics, rules questions, you can also email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. I'm more than willing to ha help you guys out. I had a ton of people ask me last week or two weeks ago now, um, thing, just things like, like list ideas like uh, how to build a good death watch list i love answering those questions i love talking to you guys and talking to my listeners you guys are the best 
And then if you want to check out Josh, if you guys liked what Josh was talking about, if you play Age of Sigmar, um, first off, thank you for listening to a 40K podcast all the way through for about two hours. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're the man. Um, but if, you liked, if you're an Age of Sigmar player uh, and you like listening to Josh, he, he has a great channel, Masterpiece Miniatures. Josh, do you want to tell them a little bit about it? Yeah, it's MasterpieceMiniatures.com. We focus mostly in clean rules play. Uh, every time we make attacks, we have overlays explaining the attacks and buffs associated with the attacks so we know what we're doing. We put a ton of work into that. Uh, thanks, Brian, who's our video editor. And, um, you know, we we love rules discussion in our videos as well. So, you know, if you if you get in there and you say, hey, you're doing this wrong or you could do this better... We're there to talk to you and listen to you, and uh, we love that. So, you know, positive, negative feedback, as long as it's uh, as long as it's good criticism, we, we love it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.